Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Geek Town Behind the Scenes podcast. I'm your host Dave Elliott and this week I'm chatting with composer Jake Monaco. Jake is an American film and TV composer who's worked on a huge array of projects from some of the biggest film scores in the past decade to children's TV shows and pretty much everything in between. We've previously spoken to Jake about his work on Netflix's Dino Trucks and Amazon's The Stinky and Dirty Show and working as a producer and composer of additional music for Christoph Beck, where he worked on huge projects such as Frozen, The Hangover Trilogy and The Muppets. Jake's latest project is a bit of a departure from some of the work we've spoken to him about before as he scores National Geographic's Incredible Animal Journeys, narrated by Hawkeye himself, Jeremy Renner, which you can currently find on Disney Plus in the UK. It's a fascinating nature series which follows the travels of a huge array of animals from humpback whales down to dung beetles and many, many other species. We discuss Jake's approach to the soundscape for the series and creating the music most fitting for each creature's journey. Also, since we last spoke to Jake, he's worked on a number of other projects for Disney, including things like Cars on the Road, Forky Asks a Question and Lamp Life. So we touch on those two as well as a number of other projects it's always lovely catching up with jake he's a wonderful person to talk to he has this incredible weird selection of instruments which we discuss a little bit as well it's a really lovely interview and he's always fun to chat with if you want to hear more behind the scenes interviews don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast by searching for geek town radio this also gives you our weekly geek town radio podcast which brings you all the latest tv film and gaming news you can also go to the website at geektown.co.uk for daily news stories and all the latest uk and us tv premiere dates I know the main show has been off air for a number of weeks. We will be back with a regular Geek Town radio show very, very soon. But for now, here is the interview with Jake Monaco. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves... Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hold up. 
it's lovely to be able to be chatting with you again because we have spoken twice before. I think um, it was what 2018 was the last time, and then 2016 was the first time we talked. Yeah, it's great to be able to kind of follow this along and <laughs> you know, kind of catch up every few years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's good. I do this with some of the other composers. You still got, uh, I think, Phil Eisler is the one to beat because he's got like uh, six or eight appearances. Oh, really? <laughs> so, All right, Phil, I'm coming after you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Uh, I spoke to a fellow a number of times, and uh, who's the other one? The guy with the Wurlitzer. Uh, <laughs> his name is Skate Street. Nate Barr. Uh, Nate Barr. Yes. Oh, the gigantic Wurlitzer organ that he purchased and put together. That thing is amazingly massive. Yes, I think every composer in LA has seen, have you actually been over and seen it? Because I think everybody's been over and seen it at this point. I know, I know. I gotta give him a call and try to get my my tickets to come over there and actually sit at it. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, it's it's been hugely popular. Yeah. Um, It's funny because Phil and Nate were, were talking and after he'd completed it, Phil was like looking at it going, oh, well, this is brilliant. But that's going to be in absolutely everything you write from now on is like, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love it. It's great. Yeah, it has been. He just hides it really, really well because of everything he can do with it. It's it's nuts. That becomes a becomes a signature sound there. Yeah, there's something weird in there. The chances are it's gone through the wheel. It's it's (laughs) So, yeah, so we're on really to talk about your new show, your latest show, which is a bit of a kind of detour from some of the other stuff that we talked to you about, because a lot of the stuff we've been talking to you about in the past has been kid shows, has been, you know, dino trucks and stinky and dirty and uh, be called Scooby-Doo and all that sort of stuff. Um, So you have done some Disney stuff, I think, since we last talked, because you did Forky Asks a Question and Cars on the Road, which I think was done after last time we talked. So how did Incredible Animal Journeys come to you then? I think my, my relationship with Disney and... And Pixar specifically has been has been really great since 2016 when I started working on Piper a little bit. And then through a series of recommendations and meeting different people up at the studios, somehow my name got up to National Geographic when they started talking about this show and looking for music. And I, I think that my name kind of popped up in there. I remember getting the brief originally and a few pages into the brief, they talk about their bar of storytelling that they're trying to meet or exceed is Pixar's Piper in terms of the way that we're following the characters and how we're feeling for them. And we really grow attached to them. We celebrate their victories and we mourn their losses. And, you know, I think Pixar always does that just so well these animated shorts that have no dialogue it's all about the visual. It's all about the sound effects and it's all about the music. And I think that when they were kind of thinking about Incredible Animal Journeys and what makes this series different than others of the same kind of nature, pun intended, um, you know, Planet Earth, Blue Planet, a lot of these other things, it's it's a different sound and it's it's approaching the storytelling a little bit differently. You are following these families, you know, typically a mother and child. Um, or sometimes when, you know, the child is abandoned very young or still in an egg, then we're following the child and seeing what they're doing and how they're learning how to go on their very first migration and what they do in the beginning parts of their lives. 
And so we're following two to three main characters in each episode. We keep coming back to them and joining them on their journey. So it's it's a little bit less about the overall spectacle of what one species is doing. And it's more about the family relationship and how these newborns are learning the ropes as they go. It's a really sort of interesting idea for it. And you've got Hawkeye in there narrating it, Jeremy Renner, I know. Uh, which is great. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's like Disney go through and look who's on the payroll and just go, that guy. <laughs> No, it, it's really it's great to be able to hear his voice. And I think he does a really great job of, of narrating us along. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he, he does. He brings a lot to it. So I'm happy to I'm happy that we were all matched together. Yeah, no, it's wonderful. Um, <laughs> how do you go about approaching the music for uh, a show like that? Because, I mean, it's got to be quite different to doing your animation sort of stuff, particularly the sort of more kids animation that you were doing. Yeah, actually, what's funny is. Out of all of the series and films that I've done, I think this show actually most closely relates to what I was doing in Dino Trucks for <laughs> the three, three and a half years that I was on that show. I remember the showrunners um, and the, the creative team just gave me so much freedom. You know, with each episode, we created a theme for the the new character and, you know, it was kind of integrated overall into the score, but we still had the familiarity of our main characters that are, you know, in the overarching series. And, And it wasn't a very specific, you know, all orchestral or very traditional sound. When it comes to Incredible Animal Journeys, they wanted kind of the same thing. They did not want to go traditional. So we're not talking about just large orchestra and you know, just the the big grandiose chords, which are beautiful. And they really give a a very large soundscape to, to what we're seeing of the spectacle in nature, but they wanted this to sound a little bit less traditional and, you know, what can we do to make it sound less traditional? So I didn't want to necessarily go in the synth direction and they didn't really want that either. So where is that middle ground? And I found that taking a lot of these organic elements, similarly to the pitched uh, boom whackers and the Hoya tubes that I used on dino trucks, where they're still, their source is still organic, but then taking them and manipulating them in, in some way to make them sound a little bit more processed or a little bit more interesting. I did that a lot. Um, my assistant Jose plays violin and viola and being able to take a line or some sort of little gesture from that and then, you know, delay and verb it out and create this texture out of it. It still has the organic tactile feel to it, but it's not just a regular violin that you're hearing. And I think that appears all over the series from our individual strings. I worked a little bit with other individual musicians, uh, a trombonist, a saxophonist, uh, someone who plays all sorts of flutes that exist. And I just I gave them I gave them a page with a bunch of scribbles on it, essentially. You know, it might might have something that scribbles from a large section into this tiny thing and then goes up. And what is the musician's interpretation of that? You know, it might be a or, you know, something (laughs) kind of random and crazy like that. And I asked for a bunch of drones that maybe is a single note, but maybe it's pulsing a little bit and maybe, you know, it's kind of bending its pitch a little bit. So I would take all this stuff and then flip it down an octave. And all of a sudden you get this very ominous, you know, kind of or this wavering pad that sits underneath that makes us very uncomfortable, which is exactly what I'm looking for, um, you know, in some of these scenes. 
but again, it still has the, the little bit of life to it. So I think that's how much it relates back to the dino trucks and being able to really do this, the exact same thing. We didn't have a large scoring budget per se on the show. So it was trying to figure out how to use that most efficiently and being able to book about three days, I think three and a half days over with the Budapest orchestra that was just strings. You always need strings a little bit. Yeah. Getting some of that in there, you know, on top of all of the uh, more unique sounds and the process sounds um, and a lot of the other solo musicians that, that were a part of this production. That's a really interesting approach sort of, uh, you know, doing it that way. Cause you are, I mean, you've talked about the characters in this and it is a wide variety of animals. I mean, you're literally from like humpback whales to dung beetles. Um, (laughs) So, I mean, finding sounds that fit particular animals for this. I mean, are you sort of looking at, you know, deeper sounds for things like the whales and maybe lighter sounds for some of the insects and and that sort of stuff? Yeah. So I always tried to find something that had to do with the animal in some respect. So for instance, um, the rock copper penguins, I used a bunch of quirkier instruments, but one of which was Skidoss stones, which is essentially a stone marimba, rock hoppers stone. You know, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Uh, <laughs> so I try to find something that has to do with it. The, uh, the humpback whales, uh, which migrate from Hawaii to Alaska and back every year, I actually was connected to a traditional Hawaiian singer And I had, I found a piece from a a more traditional Hawaiian prayer. Whales play a large part in their culture. And so I had written a melody and I kind of worked with her a little bit. I was like, you know, what if it's these lyrics over this? And she was like, well, you could take this and then put this here. And, you know, it would still make sense, but it would fit within the melody. Great. So then she sang it a few times. Um, She gave me a few other things and I took all that back and worked with it a little bit and then sent her a little bit more back to kind of sweeten and sing a little bit more and gave her a little bit more instruction. And I get all this amazing, authentic Hawaiian vocals that now are attached to the theme of the humpback whale. Similarly, in in other episodes, just finding the the little bit of a quirky nature here and there. Um, there are these Christmas Island red crabs that just kind of carpet um, the ground <laughs> yeah. and with their weird sidestep that they do. And we ended up doing like a night circus kind of Eastern Romanian vibe, um, which really <laughs> worked well to their to their quirkiness and, and bouncing along there. There was a lot of vocals. Um, they did f- fall in love with vocals overall. And so whether it's a solo singer, there's a lot of solo male um, singing in the first episode, um, Chasing the African Rains. And then in other episodes, there's a lot of solo female vocals. Um, and on top of that, there's a lot of choir that ended up being sampled. But there were some it's just great samples that really blend with everything. And, you know, I'm all about this kind of building up tension and then having a nice big release. So that was like the consistent sound across the entire series were uh, human vocals. It sounds like it's a really interesting and different soundtrack because I mean they, there is a danger with these sort of nature things of they do all you know it's it's David Attenborough the voice the, you know, the <laughs> strings there's orchestra there's there's a yep. danger of it all being like so it's quite nice that they've got you going down a, a very different route for this. You have mentioned a couple of the instruments you use there i i know you love your strange instruments so uh, is there anything else particularly that you you picked up that you use for this yeah so also in that same um opening episode chasing the african rains uh one of the main characters is flamingo 
And I worked with a musician, Gina Luciani, and she plays a traditional African flute called a fula, which only plays a certain certain notes on it um, in a couple of octaves. So when writing the theme for that character, part of the challenge and constraint to that was only using the notes that were actually playable by the instrument. And she was also great to work with. So, you know, kind of relating those two things. There's an episode that originally was called Air, focuses on the monarch butterfly and the African swallow and both of their massive migrations that they make. And throughout all of that, my goal was to not use strings in the majority, if not all of the episode, focusing it mostly on wind instruments and, you know, kind of embracing, embracing that. So seeing what other kinds of things that I was able to do. So there's a lot of flutes, ocarinas, there's some trombone and bass clarinets, uh, you know, being able to find whatever I could that wasn't using strings. What could I substitute in there? <laughs> there's some other neat kind of uh, vocal calls that are in the polar parenting episode, which all takes place near the Arctic Circle. We're following caribou and polar bears. Some of the instruments might not necessarily tie directly to to the animal. However, they're still, it's filling their sonic identity. Mm -hmm. um, so there was a little bit of like an electric guitar and harp sparkle that follows the, the polar bear cubs as, as they go and a very distinct kind of harmonic bell tone, you know, still keeping things a little bit shimmery for the entire episode of ice and trying to embrace, really embrace that. It sounds like it's, it's pulled together a really interesting set of things for it. So obviously it's been an interesting time in Hollywood recently with uh, all the strikes. Has that been affecting you that much with the type of work that you work on? So it didn't really affect this project. Um, we were wrapping as, uh, or we had about a month or two left on this uh, when all the strikes began. Plus this production was based out of the UK. So, um, right. you know, didn't, didn't relate too much. And also, you know, aside from Jeremy doing all of his narration, which all occurred prior to the strike, you know, there wasn't much SAG or union involvement. You know, and typically also in animation, you can kind of get away with still proceeding with some of the production during some of these strikes as well. But I didn't really feel it until maybe a month or so ago when everything kind of wound down. And, <laughs> now it's, you know, we were kind of itching to uh, to finalize this new deal so that we can, you know, really move forward and everybody can get back, get back to work. I mean, it's not only, you know, the composers that are feeling it. I mean, it, it goes down to every single little nook and cranny of the industry. You know, we have costumes and makeup and everybody just feels it all the way down the line. So I'm very happy at this point that it is all resolved and we can move forward. Forward. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's annoying it took the studios this long to come around, but um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm glad that they've come to an uh, agreement that at least everybody's back to work. Plus, it also means that when I go to Comic Cons now, they can actually tell me stuff. Yeah. <laughs> been, there's, there's like been a lot of sort of what's your favorite color sort of type questions. And, you know, because they're allowed to do panels, they're just not allowed to talk about anything. So, yep. you know, there's, there's been a lot of that going on. Yeah. So, so it's tough to do anything sort of publicity, you know, with the actors and actresses, you know, on any new projects that are coming out. So, you know, it's also hurting just the releases. You know, I know that productions have already been pushed from their release dates, you know, that were going to be early next year into, you know, later mm -hmm. in the summer or some and even into the following year. Yeah, that's been, um, yeah, I, I just, Comic Cons have been a very interesting sort of thing talking around, you know, they've got the actors up on stage, but are having to talk around the thing that they're most famous for and the reason why they're there. Yeah. So it's 
so it's been sort of interesting but you know now you've got this done what else have you got coming up is there anything that you can talk about at the moment i actually just finished doing some arrangements of a lot of frozen songs into little medleys <laughs> um disney in general is investing a lot of money into the parks um you know in the coming years yeah. And what they have been working on for the last, I want to say, seven or eight years is developing Hong Kong Disneyland's Frozen World. And so right. they're doing this this whole opening spectacular that's, you know, 20 to 30 minutes long. And there's a big performance medley of things that's like six and a half minutes. They're doing a big drone show. That's another six to seven minutes. There's some special guests that are going to be there that come on and make some announcements. And um, there's a big lighting of a castle towards the end. And there's all these different aspects that were really, really cool to be able to work with the creatives on, figure out what was going to be best, because then the drone programmers have to then use this to be able to program these hundreds and thousands of flying drones that are going in the air. And I, I think that is one of the most spectacular things that I've seen over the course of the last five, six years that, you know, these, some of these productions have been, have been doing with the drones. It's, it's amazing to see. So I'm, I'm really hoping that they post uh, the whole opening ceremony, you know, whether it's to Disney plus or somewhere where uh, everybody gets to enjoy it, because I I really do think it's going to be a spectacular event. Yeah, it sounds like it. I mean, there's going to be a lot of fans that would love to see that, I'm, I'm sure. So, And some of those light shows and things that they do just daily at the Disney parks are, are, are yeah. spectacular. I saw the um, California Adventure. They do a, a like water light show thing where they project things onto sheets of water. Yeah, the that. world of color. World yeah, of color. the world it of is, color. That's oh. one. Yeah, it, it's it, a, it's amazing. Some of these things, I I, I really give them props because you know every year even it gets revamped in a way where it does feel fresh and new. They're incredible, those sort of things, and and it's yeah. it's an amazing mix of sort of sound and music. So that that must be a really interesting thing to get involved with doing the sort of remixes because you've done other Frozen stuff before, haven't you? So so you, yeah. yeah, I got to work on the original film with uh, with composer Christoph Beck, and yeah, so you know ever since that, which is crazily enough, is ten years ago this month. It was released which is just mind-blowing yeah um, but also what's funny is i i was recording this production for the hong kong disney meanwhile chris was over in tokyo doing something for a ride over at that park so <laughs> you know a lot of the, a lot of these parks are now you know in, in kind of in tandem celebrating frozen's 10th anniversary and you know bringing them to life in the parks which i I think it's really exciting for everybody. I think it's going to do it's going to do wonders. Yeah, it's it's amazing that sort of stuff. And uh, yeah, yeah I, I'm sure there's going to be massive celebrations all around the world for it. <laughs> Last couple of questions for you. Yeah, they're the same that I ask you every time. So I, I can't remember what your answers were last time. So we'll, we'll see what they are <laughs> this time. But um, first one is: if you had the opportunity to work on any TV series, something from the past, something present day, or some sort of future genre that you haven't worked in yet, what would it be? I, since I was a kid, I remember watching the original X-Men animated series, which I know that they about to reboot. They're in the process of rebooting. Yes. Um, currently. So I'm excited to see what they do with this. However, I think one of the really cool things that I would love to work on in the future is when Marvel does break into more of the X-Men story storylines and, and kind of tying all these multiverses together. It would be amazing to not only be a part of that universe and kind of go there, but uh, I remember my favorite character being Gambit. So, you know, my goal would be his solo movie. I'm on it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, well, at least very specific. Yeah, yeah, no. Well, I mean, it, it has to come eventually. I mean, once they've reintroduced the X Men, which they're taking yeah. their sweet time about. But yeah, um, <laughs> yes, I'm sure it'll come. Um, that's a really good choice, and you are at least involved in the Disney stuff now. So you yeah, know, yeah, you're the right track for that. So that's awesome. Good. Thank you for spending a little bit of time to catch up. It's always lovely chatting with you. And um, I'm really looking forward to this show coming out because it looks like it's going to be a really good National Geographic nature thing. So uh, hopefully that will come out reasonably soon over here on Disney Plus as well, because sometimes yeah. they don't release everything together. But uh, I, yes, there's a little delay. So yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully speak to you again. We'll try not to leave it like four years again. This <laughs> well, not if I got to catch up with Phil, so. Need to be much quicker. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. I really appreciate you having me, and it's been great to talk. Lovely to talk to you. Cheers. Cheers.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.